Welcome back to the Silver Screen Roll Podcast Network. I'm Sabrina Merchant, and this is I Love Basketball. Today, we are joined by Anthony Irwin. Anthony, how's it going? I'm doing good. I, this is my first trip to Waiters Island. Uh, I feel like this is what Firefest looked like. <laughs> I, I, I think this, this island has a lot in common with, with the scene there. I just had a $73 ham and cheese sandwich on white bread on, on a plastic plate. So we'll see. How are you doing? I mean, I wasn't thinking about Firefest, but <laughs> that's got me all up. <laughs> yeah, first trip to Waiters Island. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I think this is the first time you and I have podcasted together in, like, a year and a half, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's so strange. There's, like, so much crossover on this network, but for some reason, this little combination hasn't happened, so... Well, we've been we've been ships passing in the night around Waiters Island. Is, around is Waiters, been, we've just been circling this island, missing each other on on the network. But yeah, that's my bad. I had you on the show. It was a really good show, and I just I I'm terrible at my job. I should have had you on sooner. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I guess we should get to the big news of the day, which is in fact that the Lakers signed Dion Waiters for what appears to be the remainder of the season. Um, although there's all these fun little reports about how if it doesn't go out well, you know, they reserve the right to re- release him like they do with any other player who they're currently signed. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. it's funny. I was actually just in the middle of writing about why the Lakers should not sign J.R. Smith, and then that mm. was no longer necessary. So here Well, we I are. think that might still happen. Yeah, that's, that's strange, right? Uh, apparently they're not fully set on this being the final 15. Um, although who would get cut now is beyond me. But yeah, yeah, it would it would feel pretty heartless to cut Quinn Cook. Um oh, yeah. mm-hmm. like given given how hard he took the Kobe uh mm-hmm. passing and yeah, after that you get into rotation players. So I guess right, what we we should is... just like pop some champagne for the eventuality of Rajon Rondo getting cut. How about that? That's <laughs> pretty exciting. <laughs> I mean, it would make more sense to cut Rondo than Cook just because Cook's on a two year deal. Mm-hmm. Um I don't I don't think the Lakers wanna you know, cut into their cap space for next season just to like sign J.R. Smith for the last what eighteen games. So yeah, I think this is the team we're going into the playoffs with. I think that's probably a safe bet. I mean, I, like, there's the if you want to put some money on AD being cut because he's not on the on the cap for next year, then you know you can have some fun <laughs> with that. But but yeah, I think I do think if this is indeed the roster, which I agree with you, that's probably the the direction this is heading in. It's not a bad roster. I like I I would have preferred Collison to Waiters and I would have preferred maybe Bielitsa to Morris or whatever, but but mm-hmm. overall I, I I can't really complain about a team that's currently what, forty seven and thirteen or something wild like that. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good record. Yeah. And I mean the Lakers got, you know, Markeith and now Dion Waiters really at, at no cost because Demarcus Cousins was just sitting there on the bench and Troy Daniels was essentially just sitting there on the bench. So can't really complain with how they got those players. I mean, anybody else would have required a little bit more sacrifice of who's actually on the current roster. So I get it. Um, I keep thinking about Dion back in like 2016 when the Thunder made that 
impressive run, you know, when they beat that 60-some win San Antonio team, mm-hmm. and then when they almost beat the Warriors, like, Waiters was pretty damn good that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I realized that was four years ago, and that's also the year that, like, J.R. Smith had an excellent playoffs. So. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what to make of all that information. Yeah, I mean, technically, he's in the contract year right now. So if there's a time to have Dion Waiters, it's now. Yeah. Right? Like, if there's, a, if there's a situation to employ Dion Waiters, it's a desperate Dion Waiters fighting to stay in the league. Uh, I think that the Lakers have that going for him. And, and I think we also kind of have to give the benefit of the doubt here to Palinka and to LeBron and to the Clutch Gang uh, in, right. in terms of, like, if anybody knows the headspace that Waiters is currently in, it would be those people. And we've already seen Palinka analyze a situation like this where a player might be on their way out of the, of the NBA and half they have they would have to come in and turn things around in order to, to stick around uh and and we saw that with Dwight already working out I think Waiters is a slightly different situation here he was never as good a player as Dwight Howard he was never as impactful a player as Dwight Howard mm-hmm. uh but but given what the Lakers I think that the role that he's probably going to play it could work out what kind of role I'm kind of curious what kind of role do you think Waiters should play on this team so I actually think they need another ball handler to play next to LeBron at times. I know we talk about how it would have been really nice to get a ball handler to take those Rajon Rondo minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that Rondo is going to get those minutes. Yep. Um, I just think that LeBron is going to be playing, you know, 36, 38 minutes a game in the playoffs, maybe even more than that. Like he was routinely hitting 40 plus on that last Cleveland run in 2018. But I just, it, it makes the Lakers so much easier to guard if LeBron's the only one who's directing anything. So I think they need another guy who can create, who can play next to him. And Waiters, I guess, theoretically, is that archetype of player. Like, he's he's not a point guard, but he's definitely capable of acting as a secondary creator. And he's been an average three-point shooter, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely doesn't lack the confidence to shoot. <laughs> That's uh, for sure. But I mean, like... Part of the problem with Rondo isn't that he's a bad shooter. It's that he's unwilling to take those yeah, open shots. Absolutely. So having someone who's trigger happy uh, <laughs> is, you know, it's not ideal. Like, obviously, the, the reason that Deion Waiters is available at this point in the season is because there are flaws with him both on and off the court. But I think I think that's the point, right, that you can have somebody who can play both with and without LeBron and then, you know, not compromise the spacing of the Lakers while he's on the floor. Yeah, I I I agree completely that you know the bonus here if Waiters is right because that's the big if. Right. We don't we don't the last I heard of Dion Waiters he was being called Dion Weight Watchers on on Twitter <laughs> for his team photo. So I, I I don't know where he's and and since then he's been suspended for contra- conduct detrimental to the team on multiple right. occasions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one thing I always kind of. one place I'll start my analysis from, this isn't, you know, obviously the end all or be all, but I like to, to see the response from the people who follow the team closely uh, when a player departs. Like if, if, if the fans are, are saying, you know, in Miami, I don't think anybody in Miami is sitting here saying, God, I I wish we still had Dion waiters around. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think anybody is saying that. Whereas, you know, you compare it to when the Lakers traded Svi to Detroit, and there was like an outcry from Lakers Twitter saying, "Like, <laughs> why? 
what are we doing? And then, like Zubat, same thing. And 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 Zubat right. has gone on to to make an impact for Detroit. Svi has done that to a lesser extent, and or uh, Zubat has done that with the Clippers. Svi right. less so with with Detroit. But you kind of rising get that vibe. stars, exactly, exactly. And 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 so like with with waiters, what makes me nervous here is it feels a lot like Carl Crawford back in the day when he was a part of that big three player. It was a multiplayer, but there were three Boston Red Sox coming over to L.A. Right. And Red Sox fans were like really bummed that Adrian Gonzalez was coming. They were really bummed to see uh, Josh Beckett go because of the the playoff performances that he had. Exactly. And then Carl Crawford was just like, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Good riddance. Get out of here. And then you kind of saw it in their performances when they when they became Dodgers, right? Like. Adrian Gonzalez became a, a fan favorite. Will go down as one of my favorite Dodgers of all time. Beckett Greatest before he got song for any Dodger. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, and then you know uh, Beckett had his had his moments, but then he you know he kind of battled injuries. And then Carl Crawford was by the time he by the time his contract was out, there were articles written where he was like defiantly saying, "No, I will not retire," which is <laughs> which is probably not the best sign for how things have gone while you're a member of that team and i you know i kind of look here at waiters I, I'm, I'm interested to see if he kind of flips that perception on its head and if he doesn't he's done i don't know where he goes if mm-hmm. it doesn't work out here for the lakers so I, like i said earlier if there's a situation to have waiters it's this one and like i I'll, I'll present this hypothetical to you could you see him winning a playoff game for the lakers like just getting obscenely hot uh, flipping a game on its head and either extending a, a you know a seven point lead to like a thirteen point lead and forcing a timeout, or getting a thirteen point lead down to single digits before the end of a quarter and keeping the Lakers in it. And I don't think he's going to lose it because he's not going to mm-hmm. get enough minutes to lose you a game. But right. couldn't couldn't you kind of, like that's that's the reason they're doing this is for that hypothetical. So the question is, how likely do you see that coming to fruition? Yeah, I mean, I I think that you're exactly right there. I I think he's played like what three games for Miami this season, and that's that's kind of the role that he's had in all of those situations. Like uh, when they played the Clippers earlier this year, he had just this like ridiculous hot streak and got them back into the game, and it ended up coming down to like the last few possessions. But mm-hmm. and I guess like that's that's kind of why I like Dion because I've seen him just be unafraid of those situations, like. In OKC in Miami, I think uh, Grant Goldberg linked that Players Tribune piece that Dan wrote a few years back when Miami made that ridiculous second half turnaround. You know, they were like 12 and 29 yeah, in the first right. half of the season, and then they ended up finishing 500. And Dion hits that ridiculous shot against the Warriors when this is like the Kevin Durant Warriors at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely has that moxie. You know, like J.R. Smith, I think, had that same sort of like. Don't, don't give, a, bleep. give a you know yeah exactly <laughs> exactly that sort of attitude and that's definitely helpful I mean and I just and I don't think he's the kind of guy that necessarily like gets played off because he can't play defense either because he's he's a little bigger than you might expect um I don't know what kind of shape he's in really because he's barely played you know these last couple of years and like you said you know about the you look how his current team's fans react to his absence like Dan Wages got traded to Memphis in the Iguodala trade right mm-hmm. and. Memphis let Iguodala sit, you know, just for six months away from the team. They had no problem just eating his contract. They waived Deion Waiters immediately. Yeah. <laughs> like a great point. a year yeah. plus left on his deal. Like this is valuable salary cap ballast for a very creative front office in Memphis that probably could have figured out some things to do with him. They were like, we don't want this guy even tangentially associated to our organization, which is 
not ideal. Yeah, that's, you know? that's a great, great point. It's a huge statement made by by an organization that, yeah, it's a small market. They they need to be able to optimize every asset they have. And they just realize there's no optimizing him in, in his current state. I think we need to take a quick break and then we'll come back. I have a I have a question to you about the acquisition periods that the Lakers and Clippers had, seeing as you've been close to both situations. So my question is this, you, you, you obviously cover the, the Clippers earlier this year for, for Sports Illustrated, and you're now with uh, SB Nation uh, exclusively to do community work there. Congratulations on that, by the way. Oh, thank you, Anthony. Um, but but you've, you've watched both those teams. And my question is this, with the Morris Twins specifically, mm-hmm. which who would you have rather acquired given what it took to acquire that player? So this is a little tricky because uh, what it took the Clippers to acquire Marcus Morris, like I understand they had to give up a good player in Moharkless and a first round pick. They had no interest in keeping either of those things. Mm -hmm. So I get that they were like actual assets, but they meant nothing to the Clippers, you know? Yeah. Um, And so it's strange with the Morrises because like, I feel like Marcus was better at Kansas, but there was this universal consensus that Mark Keefe was going to be better in the pros. Mm -hmm. And then he was, and he got a bigger contract, like when they were up from their rookie deals. And then at some point it like morphed back into Marcus being better. And like, I still cannot tell the two of them apart and I'm not the only (laughs) one. Like Paul George said, like he, it took him a full week before he started calling him Marcus instead of Keefe because he played with Keefe last year in OKC and it's twins, man. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I I don't think um, like the Lakers were never in position to get Marcus Morris, right? Like they couldn't give up dating green or whatever it was that they were asking for in New York. Um, and I think Markeith has been, I don't know, pretty, pretty good for like a buyout guy. I mean, he he's a little bit like a tougher than some of the other guys that the Lakers have, you know, like yeah, as much as I love who's he's not tough, you know, mm-hmm. um, you can't tie your hair blonde that frequently. <laughs> that tough. <laughs> Sorry, nothing, no nothing screams, and I apologize. Nothing um, screams toughness <laughs> like bleach tips. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like what Markeith brings. Like he's just uh, just another guy who's like unafraid to take big shots and he doesn't really play beyond himself too often. So I, I like that. I think the Clippers are obviously very happy with what they got Marcus. But I think the bigger addition was actually the Clippers got Reggie Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, which is so surprising to me because uh, – I was of the belief that like when Reggie Jackson ended up on the buyout market that I didn't think he would help the Lakers very much because I mean, I've watched not that much Detroit in recent years, but like there's a reason for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's because Reggie Jackson's <laughs> style of basketball has like not been that appealing like, to me over the, the last soul years. out of the entire city. Right. Um, and yet somehow you put him like in a situation where he no longer has a very big role. He's just in the second unit and his job is just like make things easier for Lou Williams. And all of a sudden, like, that's a thing he can do very well. Mm-hmm. So I I like what the Lakers have been able to do, you know, in getting Markeith and in getting Dion. It's just the Clippers set themselves up better during the summer, you know, when they've capitalized yeah. on that. And it's unsurprising that the Lakers were at a disadvantage, you know, coming into this acquisition season. And, you know, we just sort of have to live with it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I, I think if I was just to isolate the acquisitions, I would rather have Markeith and give him what it, now I'm confused. 
Marcus is the Clipper, right? Yes, Marcus Keith, is, Keith the is the Laker. Keith is the Laker. <laughs> so I would rather I I would have rather made the acquisition uh, that that Markeith Morris was right. You mm-hmm. they they weren't getting anything. They were never going to get. There was you know there were some grumbles and there were some whispers right before they waved Demarcus Cousins that maybe he could play and maybe he might come back and and that I think that was mostly Frank Vogel being like the nicest coach in the history of mankind. Exactly. But I, I I think in in just in a vacuum I would rather have the the Keefe acquisition, but like you said, more Marcus is the better player, and they got him for stuff that they were not interested in keeping anyway, and mm-hmm. they kept Marcus from the Lakers. Right now, the Lakers eventually got a version of Marcus, right, <laughs> which is something you don't really get to say very often about NBA players, but uh, but. You know, I, I think the Clippers getting that, get getting Marcus Morris and and getting that toughness. Because if the Lakers would have added both Marcus, both Morris twins, which you know could have been a thing, given what it took to get uh, Markeef, mm-hmm. then then you add like a ton of toughness and the chemistry probably gets better because you you added literal twins, uh, and and they're going to get along and and they're going to add to that chemistry and that culture. But the Clippers keeping him away from the Lakers is a big deal though. I I'm kind of curious whether or not they made themselves worse defensively. Cause I, I'm a huge Mo Harkless fan and, and I think they might miss some of his wing defense, but he wasn't going to play much. I don't think either way. Right. And it's like, how much do you really need wing defense when you already have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, you know? Yeah. There's diminishing returns at a certain point. As we found out in their last two games, OKC and, and Houston both kind of realized, oh, my God, this is what actual suffocation on a basketball court looks like. It was kind of sad to watch both those games. Yeah, I mean, I was tremendously excited for this Houston game today. I didn't really think that OKC stood a chance against the Clippers just no. because they haven't played them this year without, I mean, with Kawhi Leonard up until Tuesday and kind of makes a difference. A um, but this Rockets game, like, the Rockets are theoretically built to handle a team, you know, that has this level of wing depth, and they were just smoked. Yeah. Not even close. I mean, it felt, I... It felt a lot like... Like, I feel like the, the Rockets are better set up for a bigger team because it, it's, mm-hmm. it's they make weird matchups there. But when you're small ball... When you're playing small ball and you're going up against a better small ball team, I think you're running into some issues there. It was funny to see after the game, Rockets fans all angry because... Uh, the small ball experiment, this this, this crazy small ball experiment, um, has actually made it a little bit more difficult on Harden because he doesn't have a PNR partner the way that he had with mm-hmm. Capella, and it's been funny to kind of see them. At first, they were just gleeful over it, and it took one blowout loss to the Clippers to realize, oh yeah, that's <laughs> it. It turns out size matters in in basketball. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I I mean it, honestly, like watching the Clippers just demolish the Rockets, kind of gives me more hope for how well the Lakers could match up against mm-hmm. the Rockets just because a lot of the things the Clippers did like Zubach and Harrell were just eating you know all game those they were just uncontested baskets at the rim over and over again I don't think their centers missed a shot until like the third quarter yeah so it's the kind of thing where like the Lakers I think were sort of thrown off guard the first time they played the Rockets because it was I think the, the first day game. after the trade deadline yeah so I mean I know that <clears throat> like you said they sort of force these unconventional matchups. I do think it's a thing that a team that's as big as the Lakers should be able to exploit. They just were unprepared for that particular moment. Yeah, I agree. So you, you kind of, we've, this is a perfect segue anyway. How do you feel like the next 10 games are going to go over, over that stretch? The Lakers will play obviously the, 
the Bucks and the Clippers. And then they play mm-hmm. Denver. They play Utah twice. They play Toronto. Uh, how do you? How, what are your expectations going into the stretch? And and is there anything that might like depending on some of these outcomes, could your outlook on this season change based on how this stretch goes? So I think at this point, my outlook for the season isn't going to change until the playoffs. I think the Lakers have shown enough during the regular season. Um, like like we said, what, 47 wins in the first 60 games or something stupid like that? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think uh, you know losing a couple games to teams as good as like Milwaukee or the Rockets is going to change my opinion on that. Um, I do think it's just never a good idea to get into a playoff series against a team that you haven't beaten during the regular season. Yeah. So I think this game against the Clippers on Sunday is supremely important because yes, they do have one more game against the Clippers in April, but that's, you know, in the middle of this back to back to back situation because of the rescheduling. I don't know if either team is going to be playing like their full rosters at that point, just because it's the the last week of the season. I'm not sure how much stock we're going to be able to put into that one. So this is the one I think the Lakers have to win. And you just, you just don't want to be down 0-3 to your chief rival in the conference. Like they've gotten wins against the Rockets, the Nuggets, the Jazz, all these other teams in the West. I, I would like to see the Lakers beat Milwaukee, but I don't think it's by any means like a death sentence if they don't, just because two games in the regular season, like those, there's a lot that's left up to chance there. The Sunday one, I think means a lot, especially how well the Clippers are playing. Yeah, I that last point regarding how well the Clippers are playing is a big one. Like both teams are coming into this having figured something out, I think like the Clippers kind of raising the bar to their no, you're not even going to get decent shots off type defense, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's been that's been something to behold. And and with the Lakers, I think LeBron realizing, oh, yeah, I'm I'm 280 pounds. I can back down anybody. And, anybody. And you can't you can't double me because I'm arguably the best passer that has ever existed. So those two things kind of coinciding and going into this weekend's matchup makes for like it was already it was always fascinating anytime these teams faced each other, but but now given that stuff going on, and like you said, the the added element of the Lakers, you know, they they should have won on Christmas. It was kind of a, a weird fluky loss that Still doesn't sit all that well with me, but yeah. you 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 have that, and you have this this almost it almost feels destined matchup come playoff time, especially given the way uh, the the Clippers have been playing against some of the other teams in the in the Western Conference. Like it feels like they're eventually going to to meet in that Western Conference Finals, and if the Lakers enter that series with with zero legitimate wins against the the Clippers that would make me way way more nervous against the Clippers than I have ever been in my entire life right and I think just like going off of you know historical data I it's just not very often that a team that loses the season series ends up winning a playoff series Um, I mean obviously things can change and like these aren't the same teams that met on opening night like not even close so there's it's unreasonable to put that one stock into a game that happened in October, but just from like a mentality perspective, right? Like you, you just have to get one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree completely. I actually, I actually, my, my opinion, like if the Lakers, 
I guess it, it it comes down to how competitive were the losses. Like if it's one of mm-hmm. those, if they lose both games to Milwaukee and the Clippers and it could have gone either way. And at the end, you know, one team happened to have the ball in the last possession, then okay. Like those games are, those games can flip all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a matter of showing that you're competitive against those teams. But uh, for, if they, if they lose handily in both of these games, I'm probably walking away from from that back to back, that 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 two game losing streak, and and kind of re, reassessing my expectations come postseason time, you know, because those are the teams they have to beat. Those are the, Milwaukee is probably coming out of the East. Uh, mm-hmm. The Lakers are probably going to face the the Clippers in the West in the at some point in the Western playoffs, and if they can't be competitive against those teams on a consistent basis, that that makes me real nervous for how those games are going to go when when the the playoff atmosphere is ratcheted up. Like you could make the argument maybe that Milwaukee isn't ready for a final stage, but the Clippers sure as hell will be. Absolutely, when they have the reigning Finals MVP. <laughs> exactly. So so I, I I I don't I don't think you can rely on oh well it's a different setting the way that you can you know if you're if you're being a homer and you're trying to give yourself optimism for a series against Milwaukee. Uh, you can't do that with the Clippers, and if they lose this game handily on on Sunday, that I would I would I'll put it this way: I wouldn't hold it against anybody who said, "Oh, Kate, yep, they're they're the Clippers are the favorites." That's it. Yeah, I I totally agree, and uh, like what you said about um, Milwaukee, you know, having to prove it on a different stage versus you know regular season versus postseason. That's why I think the Sunday game is more important than the Friday game because mm-hmm. there are ways to you know talk yourself into a potential box matchup. But <laughs> I just think you go over three against the Clippers. There's no way you're going to talk yourself into why the Lakers should be favored against the Clippers. Yep. I agree. It's a, it's a fun stretch though. This was fun. I, I apologize again for waiting so long to have you on, on locked on Lakers. At least I have no control over this as evidenced <laughs> by my hellish schedule today, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to do this again on, on either platform at some point. Yeah, this is, this is good stuff. Uh, Thanks for coming on the show, Anthony. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure to subscribe to the Silver Screen Roll podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We have shows Monday through Friday on the Lakers. And it's a big stretch coming up. (laughs) Have a nice weekend. (laughs) 